Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. All right, welcome into a special no-huddle edition of another Carolina podcast. I'm Wes Mitchell with Chris Clark looking to add Monday editions of the show um, throughout the college football season. Of course, we will still always have our, our Wednesday from the studio edition, but I'm going to knock out a remote edition today and talk a little bit about South Carolina's 72-10 to 10 win over Charleston Southern on Saturday and, of course, um, if you like the podcast, we'll invite everyone uh, to rate, review, subscribe uh, wherever you listen to podcasts. Of course, every podcast episode is brought to you by uh, Terry Bishop Real Estate and, of course, Slotsky's Deli. We'll tell you a little bit more about those later on. But, Chris, uh, let, let's get right down to it. I think, um, you know, when I was thinking about the game on Saturday, uh, the thing that kept coming into my mind is that, uh, you know, th- this was needed for everybody. I, I think the fan base, uh, certainly the coaches, the players, um, Ryan Helensky, I, I mean, this thing, uh, just to, to get a big win, to sort of take care of business. But we all know Charleston Southern is not a great football team. But just to sort of do what they were supposed to do, get everybody in the game, um, a, a much-needed day there at williams Price Stadium for this football program. Yeah, there's no doubt about it, Wes. It's a, a situation where it was a catharsis of sorts for South Carolina. Yeah. Um, you know, you, you got – a deal where South Carolina had just such a tough loss to North Carolina in week one. Uh, they lose Jake Bentley. But there was some excitement, to be honest, um, just about Ryan Helensky, just because of the, the level of accolades he had coming in. Um, the fact that this Charleston Southern team, was, you know, did not project to be a very good football team, like you said. And I was impressed with what South Carolina did. I, I realized the level of competition. And Will Muschamp noted that several times. He noted it at halftime. He noted it going into the week. He noted it you know, at the press conference afterwards that they felt like that's what they should do. But when you beat an opponent by 62 points, no matter who it is, pretty impressive. Mm-hmm. Um, they're pretty clean. That Charleston Southern team, and I told you this leading up to the week, if you remember, it, it was probably – I was trying to go back and think about all the games that I've watched and covered since I've covered South Carolina in 10 years. They're probably the most inferior opponent I've seen South Carolina play, and, and that's not a slight on, on their coaching staff, their players, their programs. It's just, it is what it is. Yeah. Um, but I think still impressive what the Gamecocks did. They, they dominated the line of scrimmage. Uh, they got open. They ran the ball extremely well. Uh, they put up 775 yards of offense, and they played well defensively, especially when the starters were in, which which was not for very long. They got a ton of guys in this game. Yeah, you know, I think, Kai, you look at it. Uh, first of all, uh, on the stats, there's no one listed under punting on the South Carolina <laughs> column, which is, uh, right. is always a good sign. Uh, you know, not a single punt in the game. You know, man, I'm thinking – when the first team off, when the first team defense was out there against Charleston Southern, um, I mean they gave up the one sort of long run down the left sideline early on. They had the PI that I thought was questionable at best. Uh, Very, yeah, yeah, against Izzy McQuamu. Other than that, I mean, they really, I mean, this Charleston Southern offense really didn't even put a dent in, in South Carolina's defense. <laughs> and you know, I, J- Javon Kinlaw early on. 
Um, I, I don't know why – I don't know how his uh, pro football focus grade is not higher because he's just smashing the guard back into into the backfield um, early on in that game before he uh, before they took him out. So, uh, I thought up front South Carolina just dominated him. But, uh, you know, that, that obviously gets overshadowed by the debut of Ryan Helinski. And, uh, you know, this kid I, I think just handled everything that was thrown at him, obviously – you know, we'll probably say it 10 times, the opponent matters. But ju- just to go control the offense, I, I thought he was decisive. I-, I thought that was the biggest thing. When-, when he saw what he was looking for, the ball came out. And, um, you know, we've talked about his quick release before. But uh, just seeing it seeing it again, seeing it time after time, uh, one of the quickest releases I've seen for, you know, for a South Carolina quarterback. And, and that's both from a physical standpoint of literally being able to you know, to physically get the football out. But I, I thought just mentally as well, when he saw it, he trusted it. He got the football out. Um, he, he's got a very unique – he's sort of um, – you know, he, he gets his feet under him. He, he doesn't really have to sort of wind up before he gets the ball out. He, he just fires it. And, um, you know, I, I thought, um, you know, played very, very well. Obviously took what was there. You know, I was trying to watch Charleston Southern from a defensive standpoint uh, – you know, they dropped back a lot, uh, lots of quarters coverage, uh, some cover three, but, every, you know, everything was zone, backed off. And, you know, to Helensky's credit, he took what was there. He swung the ball out, um, you know, to the receivers in the, the screen game. He got the ball out to Markway and Nick Muse making his debut, um, you know, swung the ball out to the tailbacks. And then when he saw opportunities, he did attack a bit down the field. But I thought all in all, man, you probably couldn't have scripted a better start uh, for Ryan Helensky. Sure. And – I think you got to cons- – obviously, the, the main storyline for people who are sort of downplaying his performance is, well, we'll consider the opponent. Well, we are. You're considering the opponent for sure. Nobody's discounting that. Um, I don't think anybody expects him to come out against Alabama and Georgia, Clemson, Texas, and m any other SEC program, and, and for South Carolina or Ryan Helensky to look that dominant. But I think there are things you can take away. You know, How does he handle the moment? I mean, it is, it is a college football game. You know, uh, uh, and it's his first one. He's a true freshman. Mm-hmm. And you didn't really see any nerves. You saw him make good decisions. That was another thing. I mean, it doesn't matter who's playing zone. You got you got some reads to make. And so mm-hmm. sometimes you saw him get the ball out quickly, which I think is something that they wanted him to do, especially in game one. But it's also something that he's shown a, an ability to do, whether it's in high school or even if you look at practice or you look at the spring game, does a good job of being decisive and going through his reads. And he took he took what was there. He made some some big throws. You look at the throw to Brian Edwards downfield. I mean, that's honestly in week one. That's what South Carolina was missing. You know, hit mm-hmm. hit some guys open in stride. And uh, whether or not he'll be able to consistently do that this season throughout, it'll get tougher. But he did it. Um, he showed a lot of different kinds of throws. He threw it with touch. He was able to get it out on some screens and sort of put it out in front of his receivers so they had some room to run. Sort of gave him a head start, if you will. Um, he made the touch throws to Brian Edwards. Uh, we saw the throw where he was rolling out to his left and sort of whipped it across his body. You know, uh, I think that was to Shy Smith, wasn't it? Uh, where he was rolling the, the yeah. opposite way and sort of flicked it out there. Uh, so yeah. showed some impressive arm strength, and but also threw it with touch and was decisive. So I think there was a lot to like about the performance, even even considering the opponent. And you, you got to also consider it's Ryan's first game. So um, a lot of positives there, I thought. Yeah, I thought, um, to your point, um, you know, the underneath stuff, yeah, some of it's a shorter throw, obviously, but 
those balls are accurate, not not just from a standpoint of, oh, can they catch it? But as you said, can they catch it where they need to to, to keep their stride, you know? And I, I thought he uh, I thought he was decisive but also patient on, on some of those slants, uh, you know, where he's having to put the ball in a window in between, you know, two zone defenders. Uh, you know, the ball was delivered where it needed to be. It had the right amount of touch plus the right amount of heat. You know, I, I thought uh, just all in all, uh, didn't look like a freshman out there. And like you said, no uh, no sign of nerves whatsoever. Um, just uh, was calm, collected, which I think, you know, I think as much as we've sort of talked to Ryan over the, you know, years now, actually, um, you know, that's probably what we expected from that standpoint. But you, ne- you never know until you go see what a guy does, you know, in, in the big stadium in front of all those people, you know, TV audience, all that stuff. But, but yeah, certainly a great debut. And, um, you know, the thing I liked, and, and we'll sort of turn it to, to to carry on Joiner here as well. But the thing I liked, you know, you saw to carry on Joiner sort of get his chance to, to show what he can do. And uh, when Joiner scored that touchdown, first guy off the sideline to go greet Joiner is Ryan Holinsky. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, I, I think you sort of see that they've said all the right things about the quarterback room and everybody being on the same page. But you sort of saw it. Um, I was actually watching Ryan during Joiner's long, like forty forty one yard run, I think it was. And uh, Ryan's just jumping up and down, fist pumping, like, you know, pumped up about this play, about his friend, you know. So uh, the quarterback room, you, you saw Jake Bentley over there, I, I think, praying with the other two guys before the game started. Um, you know, Bentley's right there every step of the way with, uh, you know, with Ryan Helensky. And I, I think you, you sort of saw the camaraderie there with that bunch. And, man, again, uh, regardless of opponent, I, I left saying number seven um, – you know, got got to find a way to keep him on the field in, in some way. I, I think, um, yeah, Ryan Helensky's a, a big part of this, clearly. But I think moving forward to carry on Joiner, going to be a big part of this offense as well. Yeah, he, he looked natural. You know, no matter what he's doing, he looks natural at it. Um, obviously, we haven't seen him go back there and play quarterback full time and, and make all those throws and stand in the pocket. We haven't seen that, but he's – you know, he's, he's just such an effective slash-type player, a guy you can put under center or put him out wide. He can do a lot of different things for you. And uh, we saw him do a little bit of, of all those things. You know, he, he threw one pass in the game, and that was it. But, um, you know, his, his catch in the ball game, he had a 12-yard catch, and he's lined up and he runs an out route. So it's not like they're just throwing a bubble screen to him or, or a little hitch. I mean, he, he's running an out, and Helensky made another – it was a really nice throw – that's a, that's a more mm-hmm. difficult throw than people, you know, think. And and he put it right there, and DeCarrion called it out in front with his hands. I mean, looked like a natural wide receiver. But then you see him back at quarterback running the zone read stuff. He can do that. Saw on the, the long run that you referenced a minute ago, making some guys miss. Got to be a little bit more careful with the ball security, <laughs> I think, mm-hmm. as, the, as the opponent, as the uh, competition level ratchets up. But he, those are the types of things he can do. He's an elusive guy. He, he's a powerful guy in the lower body, can make some people miss. So I think his role on this team, he's going to be an important part of this team as an offensive player as, as they progress throughout the season. Yeah, and on that out route, man, the thing I liked about it is, you know, the ball's out in front, like you said, and, and Jordan just reaches out there and snatches it. You know, a lot of times guys transitioning to receiver, they want to sort of cradle the football they want to make sure that they catch the ball as opposed to just naturally catching the ball out in front with their hands and continuing 
you know, a, a running motion, uh, you know, continuing their gait. So I, I thought that for, for Joyner, just the, the way he catches the football, um, you know, he looks very comfortable. And, I, you know, I think that package will continue to expand. I, I like the fact that they have him on the field with, with Feaster on one side and Rico Daddle on the other. Uh, you know, I, I think Daddle has, has looked outstanding through two games. And, you know, Feaster, we've, all, we've talked all offseason about some of the things um, that Feaster can do as a receiver. And I, I think putting those two guys in the backfield together, you know, and now you can motion Feaster out into the formation and do some different things with him, you know, without having to go empty. You, you still have a back in the backfield that they have to account for too. I, I think there are some mismatch things that you can do there. And, um, you know, just uh, all in all, uh, the offense, I, I think top to bottom, is, it's hard to find much wrong with it. Offensive line, you know, you had some guys who were able to get their feet wet making their first career starts. Uh, Javon Gwynn, Jordan Rhodes there at guard. I thought having Donnell Stanley, you watch him direct traffic, that, that was a big thing too. So offense top to bottom, uh, I think you saw a lot of good things there. Um, real quick, Chris, uh, you want to tell everybody, I know we have a, a, a segment on our Wednesday show, but also um, you want to tell everybody real quick about Terry Bishop and what those guys have done with the Bishop Real Estate Group just uh, sponsoring our Gamecock football coverage this year? Yeah, absolutely. Terry Bishop. Former Gamecock quarterback and a huge supporter of the Gamecocks uh, football program still. Um, he's been around Columbia a long time in the real estate business, 36 years of experience. Uh, Wes, I know that our, our listeners, our readers, our subscribers, they want – when it comes to business dealings, whether it's real estate or anything else, they, they want people who know what they're doing, A, and B, are Gamecock mm-hmm. supporters – and Terry yep. Bishop's both of those. So Bishop Real Estate Group, Terry Bishop, his wife, Becky, uh, they, they got a cockaboose for sale right now uh, for a really good deal. And I wish I could get in on that thing. So, uh, you know, whether it's buy, sell, invest in real estate, Terry Bishop, give them a call. Facebook.com slash the Terry Bishop team uh, mm-hmm. is a good way to, to check those guys out. Yeah, and 803-665-1442. I'm looking at is their number and uh, hey uh, Brian Shoemaker, boss man, if you're listening, um, hey let let's make that the Gamecock Central cockaboose. Um, <laughs> I mean I'll I'll gladly uh, spend our boss's money. You know I don't know if I <laughs> I personally have the money, but uh, that'd be pretty sweet I think. <laughs> yeah, I mean we could we could outfit that cockaboose and be there every week and uh, maybe do a podcast from there. I think it'd be pretty neat. Yeah, I'm I'm always down for that, man. Um, let's uh, let's talk a, a little bit of defense. Um, you know, I, I I don't I really don't know as much as you can't take a ton offensively. I think you can take a little bit. Some of the stuff we talked about defensively. Um, you know, God, the CSU offense just really struggled, and some of that is because of South Carolina's defense. Some of that's just that they were completely, you know, out outmatched uh, up front. Um, you know, even when they had some guys open, couldn't hit them for the most part, put the ball in jeopardy. But, um, you know, I think uh, – I guess there is something to be said for the South Carolina defense just doing what it was supposed to do. I, I thought early on, um, you know, you see some of these games, and we've seen it for South Carolina, you give the opponent hope. Um, I thought South Carolina's defense just buried uh, Charleston <laughs> Southern's offense and just showed them, hey, you know, this, this ain't happening today. Even um, – you know, you had the early turnover for South Carolina that kind of gets forgotten. Uh, you know, I, feel bad, I felt so bad for Nick Muse. Gets his first catch as a Gamecock and, and fumbles it. But uh, the defense just shut CSU right down after that again. No hope whatsoever. Um, controlled it up front. 
tackled much better. Um, don't remember a ton of forced missed tackles there, at least when the first team group was on. Yeah, I thought um, JT eBay getting back. Uh, he flew around, didn't look to be bothered at all by the uh, you know the injury that had been hurting him. Um, you know, I think he helped solidify that secondary a little bit moving forward. But well, was there anybody? Starting unit, first of all, we'll get to the you know some of the young guys that got in there. Is there anybody uh, just from the the veterans or the, the starting group that caught your eye? I mean, I I thought everybody for the most part played pretty well. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned Ken Law, and he only played eighteen snaps in the game, so he wasn't out there. It was a lot. just mashing. He, he just mashed everybody, and and look, that's what he should do. I mean, you're yeah, you know, exactly, and. Um, not there shouldn't be a ton of carryover. I mean, South Carolina's defensive line should dominate that front. But again, look, th- there are, there have been plenty of games in the past where we've seen FCS opponents on both lines of scrimmage against South Carolina, and everybody in the stadium and all the media people like us are sitting there going, "Why are they not dominating this game more?" So, I mean, th- they did what they should have done, and, and I think look, Charleston Southern, even by FCS standards, is a substandard team on that level. But they just, like you said, they left no doubt about it. So, um, you know, that Charleston Southern, the other thing, they, they didn't have, like, the option game to sort of neutralize the talent differential. There was none of that. They're out there running the air raid. So, basically, they're running air raid principles in the past game, and they're running zone read on offense. So, aside from the one run that they sprung for about 40-something yards, there just wasn't much there. Um, I thought Ken Law did very well as far as starters, Ernest Jones, you know, and TJ mm-hmm. Brunson had good games. eBay, I, I'm with you. eBay did a really nice job uh, sort of running the alleys and being physical out there and sort of giving them a presence. He had a little yep. bit of an edge to him. And yep. I think that's something that will help them a lot going forward. Yeah, definitely. You saw some guys make plays on the ball down the field, some turnovers. And, um, you know, I think it's something we've talked about a bit, man. Actually getting a big lead on somebody allows you to put some guys out there. Um you know, to me, it's not a bad thing. If you're up by 40, 50 points, it's not a bad thing for your young guys to get out there. And even if they're making mistakes, you know, you can go play fast and, and learn from mistakes. And, you know, I think you look out there. At one point, uh, Chris, you had uh, Joe Anderson in there. You had Rod Fenton at Buck. You had uh, Zach Pickens <laughs> at one of the defensive tackle spots and Rick Sandage at the other defensive tackle spot. Um all at the same time uh, at linebacker. I don't think they were on the field at the same time necessarily, but at linebacker, you saw Jamar Brown get in there um, actually fairly early in the game. And then uh, later on, uh, Derek Boykins Brooks, uh, I believe is now his last name. Um, he's got Boykins Brooks on his Jersey, but um, you know, so Derek Boykins gets in there um, at, at one time. You actually had uh, Johnny Dixon, Cam Smith, Shiloh Sanders, and Jamie Robinson, all on the field at the same time in the secondary. Uh, later on, we got to see Darius Rush, who's making that transition over from wide receiver to cornerback and has done some good things in practice, I hear. Uh, you know, I thought it was just kind of cool to see uh, the future of the South Carolina defense, sort of um, a, a glimpse of, of what it could look like moving forward. And and I thought those guys, you know, did some good things. Obviously, they gave up some plays too, but uh, that's to be expected. And, and it's just good. It's good for team morale, but it's good for development and, this new redshirt rule, I think we saw coaches sort of try to um, figure out last year how exactly they wanted to use it. But I, I think, you know, if you're South Carolina, you're looking ahead at the schedule. How many opportunities are you going to be up this big on, on teams? Um, throw everybody out there this week, and even if they're going to, you know, be redshirt guys, um, 
you know, it, you you can sort of just say hey, we're going to play guys. That's one game. They still have three, and they can redshirt. So um, I, I think that you saw the new redshirt rule um, or newer redshirt rule, second year it's in play. Um, you know, sort of be taken advantage of. Yeah, and that that was something I mentioned to somebody over the weekend, Wes, as far as the defensive line, and I think there was some. Um, you know, understandable frustration after North Carolina at every position, but a lot of people are going, okay, this defensive line is supposed to be so much deeper. They they gave up two 90-plus yard drives to North Carolina. And, again, we're, I think we're going to see as the competition picks up, was that more of an aberration or was it uh, a, a symptom of sorts, uh, something that we're going to see mm-hmm. recur? I think we'll find out pretty soon. I, I, I think, you know, some of the teams on the schedule are going to have offensive success against this defense regardless just because they're really good offensive teams. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I think, you know, the, the performance and, and the level uh, that, the, that even the backups played to, I think, was a positive. You know, I, I remember even during the height of the Spurrier era, you know, when the defensive line had all that talent, if you got down to, say, the third group, you know, it's, it's some walk-on guys. Or, you know, Brad Lowing used to play long snappers in the spring game at, yeah. at the defensive yeah. line. You didn't see any of that. So when you get down to the second or third group, it's former top 50 recruit Rick Sandage and it's Zach Pickens and it's Joe Anderson, who was a rivals, mm-hmm. you know, four-star guy. And it's Rod Fitton, who was a, you know, pretty highly recruited guy. So Tyreek Johnson got out there, you know, saw his, saw his first action. I thought Jabari Ellis did some really good things when he was in there. Um, mm-hmm. This guy that had a really good preseason after he redshirted last year. So again, competition level. Yes, we understand, but you look at some of the bodies and the talented guys that they're able to put out there to get them some extra work. I think that's going to serve them well this season and, and going forward. Yeah, no doubt. Um, man, I, I tell you, I, I thought Joe – I know it was late in the game. I, I thought Joseph Anderson flashed a bit of, you know, some of the stuff we talked about this offseason that the staff have been very impressed with him as a pass rusher. You know, I think you saw that uh, flash a little bit. I thought Jamar Brown uh, just moving around out there, showing some physicality as well, breaking up a, a play, uh, you know, making a hit that sort of – separated a, a receiver from the ball. Um, I, I just I, – I like a lot of what you see from those guys, at least athletically. They're still learning. And, uh, you know, the, the freshmen, just getting out there is big for, for all those guys. Uh, Johnny Dixon did some things, had an interception. And uh, let's swing it back to offense because we, we have to talk about Kevin Harris. <laughs> uh, you know, th- this is a dude, first of all, um, Camp Aval, a guy that South Carolina gets him in, likes him on film but wants to see him in camp, wants him to run, you know, wants to get the 40-yard dash time and, you know, in their own building, that type of stuff. And, uh, you know, they, they were sold on him. They took him, not a bunch of major offers, but, um, you know, you and I had both heard some really positive things about what he had done in practice. And I, I think we saw some of it, uh, some explosiveness, but just the the balance, dude, the strength of this guy, um, you know, it, it left me sort of uh, like, okay, We've talked about the future of this running back position. You know, what's it going to look like? I think now you sort of start to have a feel. Obviously, hold on to Marshawn Lloyd for next year. But I started to say, okay, that that's probably their two guys for next season. They want to maybe add a third, obviously. But, um, you know, I, I thought Kevin Harris, um, despite, the, you know, or on top of just the raw numbers there, which are insane, um, I think, what was it, 146 yards and three touchdowns on uh, – Seven, six carries, seven. or maybe seven. six carries, okay. seven, seven snaps. I'm no. sorry, yeah, seven snaps. Yeah, seven snaps, six carries, 147 yards. Not a, 
didn't want to he shorted him one take away a yeah didn't want to short you there Kevin um 147 yards three touchdowns and hey for for this year I actually really liked um the little wrinkle we hadn't seen yet uh, at least you know in the first game but uh, the I formation with Kevin Harris as your uh, as your quote lead blocker but they actually did sort of twice they did a little like fullback dive with um your offensive lineman turned tight end Chandler Farrell leading up in there um, as sort of an H-back almost. And that's a wrinkle we're going to see in short yardage moving forward, I'm pretty sure. When you just look at Kevin Harris's – you know, I've compared him to mine Denson, I think, as a, you know, as a player coming in. But, um, you know, I I just – I think you got to love what you saw from from Kevin Harris in a number of different uh, areas. For sure. And they are similar backs. I mean, north-south type of guys. And Mon Denson obviously had – some nice runs in that ball game. What was it? A fifty-seven yard touchdown run as well. But man, it'd be yeah. it'd be you'd be hard pressed to find a more efficient <laughs> performance than what Kevin <laughs> Harris turned in. You when you when you have six carries and three of them are touchdowns, that's not bad. Uh, no matter the competition, and you know he got he he did all the all kinds of good things for South Carolina in this game. You know he you go and it, what is it third and one or was that a fourth down where he converted the play you were talking about? Um, yeah, there was, was a fourth, fourth and one. one. And obviously, yeah. no matter opponent, that's something where South Carolina fans are sitting there going, can they get this? You know, And so they <laughs> yeah. put him out there at fullback, they give him the ball, and he gets plenty. Um, mm-hmm. You know, that that's the kind of guy he is. Extremely powerful, huge lower body. Um, he impressed people right from the get-go in the weight room and on the field with some of the things he did from a power standpoint. He's tough to tackle, and. Charleston Southern obviously didn't want any part of trying to tackle him. Um, it was it was very difficult for them. The seventy five yard run was about as impressive as you can get. I don't care who you're playing against. Mm-hmm. You know the 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 balance level, uh, finishing that run with the power that he showed was really something that was excellent. And so uh, sometimes that's what you need. You need a guy that can go get you some between the tackles yards, or if he breaks it outside, can run through contact and. Kevin Harris is going to be a dude that's going to run through contact as as much as pretty much as much as you possibly can. He may not make as many guys miss in space, uh, but he's going to get you some tough yeah. yards. Yeah, I mean, looking at okay, Rico Daddle ten carries, eight point seven yards per carry. Tavian Feaster six carries, ten point seven yards per carry. Uh, Joiner thirteen point two yards a carry on four uh, rushes. Mon Denson thirteen point one yards per carry. On nine rushes, and then Kevin Harris, as we said, six rushes, 147 yards, 24 and a half yards per carry. <laughs> uh, not a typo. And and dude, hey, let's be honest, man. Regardless of opponent, if if Kevin Harris was named Marshawn Lloyd, like if if this was the you know the four star, five star guy coming in, and Kevin Harris had made this debut and looked like that, we'd be talking about Kevin Harris right now is like, man, th- this guy is the next big thing at yes, South Carolina. as advertised. So, uh, yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah. So, um, yeah, so you got to like that. Um, you know, we'll, we'll get a ton into Alabama in our uh, our big show, our longer show that we do every Wednesday in studio. But I, I did want to mention, man, I think it was worth mentioning. Um, you know, again, opponent notwithstanding, South Carolina did what they were supposed to do. And I, I think we – and I, I'm guilty as well at times. You know, we, we get caught up in one game as being the season. And obviously the North Carolina loss was a bad look for South Carolina. But don't look now. But that North Carolina squad, Chris, is 2-0. and <laughs> Yeah. So, 
you know, they, they, they beat Miami, which I don't think Miami's a great team either. But, um, you know, North Carolina maybe finding a way to win games a, a bit with a little bit of a boost from a new coach, a, a new excitement. Um, you know, I think if you replay that game against North Carolina, I still think South Carolina wins the game, um, you know, seven out of ten times, I think. I might be wrong. But, um, you know, let's see where this season goes. And I, I think you start to look, especially as difficult as this schedule is, um, as far as the big three we always talk about, if we look at the other games, let, let's go around the SEC a bit. Uh, real quick scoreboard, um, you know, Clemson beats Texas A&M 24 to 10. That game, that last seven points was literally, literally the very end of the game. So Clemson, I, I felt like, controlled that game throughout. Um, you know, let's see, where did it go? I lost it here. Florida, yeah, Florida wins 45 to nothing, but that's that's still a team that I think we all have their question, our questions about. Missouri bounces back and wins 38 to 7 over West Virginia. I think West Virginia's down a bit this year, uh, but Missouri only one and one. Uh, Vanderbilt gets beat 42 to 24 by Purdue to fall to 0 and 2 on the season. Uh, Tennessee falls to 0 and 2 with opening season losses to Georgia State and BYU on their home turf. Um, Kentucky beats Eastern Michigan 38 to 17. Um, has not necessarily looked dominant at all in week one or two. So, you know, dude, you look around and okay, South Carolina could could lose any game on their schedule. You know. I think, to be honest, but also you look at some of these other games and you say South Carolina could win about any other game on their schedule too, except for maybe, you know, sort of that big three. So, I, you know, we'll see where this season goes. I think, like you talked about, um, or like it's been talked about on our message board, there's a little bit more hope in Columbia, South Carolina. Some of that just seeing what Ryan Helensky can do. And, um, you know, some of that is things evening out a little bit. The sky did not fall. Um you know, we'll see what happens this week. Can they hang in there against Alabama? Who knows? That, that's tough for anybody, man. But, um, you know, I, I think you start to sort of settle in and say, all right, this season is not over, you know, a- after after two weeks or after one week for a lot of people last week. Uh, there, there's still many probably ups and, frankly, downs to go <laughs> for the 2019 Gamecocks. Yeah, for sure. And how different would the outlook be if they had just won that game against North Carolina and then had that dominant performance last – I mean, it would be a lot different feel. But it is what it is. Yeah. That's where they're at. Um, and to some degree, I mean, fans and, and media alike who've covered this program for a while, we've been through this. I mean, we've been through some – we've seen some really, really good South Carolina teams – when lose against just have a, mm-hmm. a random stinker against I mean that Auburn in 2000 what was that 2011 you yeah know, Tennessee yeah. in 2013 were those really that much better of a team than North Carolina you know I think the timing was awful of losing that game um I, yeah you know after a long off season and etc but again like you said Wes I, I think most most of the games to be honest on this schedule are toss-ups um, except yep. for, you know, there, there are a handful of games you would not favor South Carolina in, and they would be Alabama, right. Georgia, Clemson, probably wouldn't favor them against A&M. The rest of them sort of toss them in and mix them up. But South Carolina is capable of winning. All those teams have questions. I mean, Kentucky lost their starting quarterback, Terry Wilson, for the season. And so mm-hmm. um, there's a lot there. I, I mean, um, I, I think the outlook would be different if it's 2-0, and but they're not. Uh, there's still a long season. There's still 10 games to go. There's some opportunities there to turn things around and 
to still turn in a good mm-hmm. year. The SEC East is still pretty wide open aside from Georgia. So, see where things go. Yeah, it, it is. It is. And, I, you know, I don't know, man. Maybe I'm wrong, but I left thinking – obviously, the Texas A&M game is in Texas A&M. But I, I still have a ton of questions about Kellen Mond as a, as a quarterback as far as consistency in the passing game. South Carolina is going to be an underdog on the road in that game, we know. But, you know, they, they played Texas A&M tight. So, you know, I, I, they're not going to be favored, obviously. But I, I sort of look at that game and say, you know, maybe, maybe Carolina has a chance to, to pull off a big win there as we sort of look ahead. Um, around the SEC, the rest of the scores, just if anybody's curious, Alabama um, kicks in New Mexico State's teeth 62-10. to 10. Um Oh, not a score of South Carolina fans like 63-17, Georgia over Murray State. Um, Auburn 24-7 said earlier, Florida 45-0 over UT Martin. Uh, Purdue over Vandy. Mississippi State beats Southern Miss 38-15. And uh, Ole Miss beats Arkansas uh, in the battle for the SEC West uh, Cellar um, 31-17. And um, interesting game, uh, obviously LSU beating Texas goes to 2-0. Big win for them, 45-38 puts themselves potentially in that conversation for the college football playoff. Uh, Chris, do you have any other takeaways just outside of South Carolina um, around the college football or SEC landscape? Anything catch your eye? Well, I will go to the SEC for just a second. Tennessee, I mean, that was rough. I mean, their win probability was off the charts. All they had to do literally, I mean, they were in three deep coverage and Elante Taylor – just lets a guy run right past him. I don't know what he was doing. Um, yeah. And, and then BYU ends up, you know, still, you, you, it's not like you, you lose the game on that play. You still got to surrender a field goal. You go to overtime. Uh, but, you know, it's going to get really interesting there. Two brutal losses, especially the Georgia State one to start the year. And, you know, Georgia State was in a dogfight with Furman this past weekend. Furman's a good ball club. But they were actually, Georgia State was down um, early mm-hmm. and came back and won a close one. But, you know, two bad losses for Tennessee before they get into conference play. Their quarterback situation is is really the most glaring thing. Jarek Garantano has not been good the first couple weeks, and I'll be curious to mm-hmm. see if they open up things in that quarterback competition. That that would be interesting, but I would not rule it out because he's really uh, he's been fairly rough the first couple weeks. Their offensive line also has really struggled. Yeah, you know, and I was just looking at the uh, the FBI, the Football Power Index from ESPN, Chris, and uh, early on um, preseason, they actually had, I, I believe, South Carolina as like a 30-something percent chance of beating Tennessee only, hmm. which uh, kind of surprised me, even though that game is in Knoxville. Um, that number has completely shifted. Um, South Carolina now with a 64% chance um, of beating Tennessee in Knoxville, at least according to FBI. Um some of these other numbers have shifted as well. 69% now for South Carolina to beat Kentucky, which I believe is up from the start of the season. Um, 44.4% against Missouri, which I think is actually down a little bit. Um, and 85.1% chance to beat Vanderbilt, which I think is up. Um, this week, though, 13.8% chance uh, of South Carolina beating Alabama, according to FPI. Um, I actually, yeah, you know, that it could be worse, honestly. <laughs> I mean, that, that number's a little bit higher than I suspected. Um, so, anyway, we'll talk more about Alabama, um, that game on our podcast later on. Um, want to thank, again, Slotsky's Deli. We'll tell you more about the uh, Slotsky's Pick'em Contest. Uh, we'll go a little bit more in-depth about that in uh, the show later on this week. But 
Uh, I want to thank uh, Terry Bishop Real Estate Group and Slotsky's Deli for supporting all of our podcasts and uh, Terry Bishop for supporting all of our Gamecock football coverage. Uh, For Chris Clark, I'm Wes Mitchell. We'll see you later this week. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai.